Hello, everyone, and welcome to Working With Humans. I am Matt Phelan. And I'm Brandon James. How are you, Brandon? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm... We are, what is the, um, what month are we in, Brandon? This is March. March, and what year is it? 2019. 2019. Theresa May's just had her, I don't even know what, what number of um, things rejected, so we're still in the middle of Brexit. Um, the scene is I'm sitting next to, next to our office, which I'm looking at the Thames and can see the uh, Shakespeare Globe Theatre. This is our first attempt uh, where I'm not in the room with the same person, so where are you, Brandon? Uh, I'm on an idyllic little island in Kent called St. Mary's Island, and I'm looking at the River Medway racing past my office window. Nice. What's the weather like? It is extraordinarily windy. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> cool. Okay, so just I want to introduce um, my first guest. So just a background on why we do this podcast. I get to meet the most amazing people, and I thought it was about time I shared their stories with you. And I, in my words, Brandon, I, I tried to write down how I would describe you. And it was the hardest out of everyone that I've had on so far. And I kept, and I hate the fact that I wrote this word down, but I, I came back to a man of many talents. <laughs> and it's like, because I just, I was listing out all the stuff that I know, because I've I probably got the position wrong, but you were like a running back at college. You're an opera singer. You absolutely smash data and brand. You get how companies are formed and, and, and ran. And you're also just one of the best people I know. So I hate, I need a better way of describing a man of many talents. So that's how, that's how I see you, Brandon. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a dad first and foremost, and then a husband. And uh, I try to be uh, kind of the best human I can be. I'm a marketeer as well. Uh, I've worked across loads of different industries, which is kind of reflective of the person that I am. I don't really like to put myself in a box. Uh, yeah. I think that you should be amazing at something and you should be able to apply it everywhere, uh, not just specialize just in one little thing. And that's probably how I've lived my my life as well. So I I, I see myself a little bit of a renaissance man, but uh, Ooh, we've ne- we, is, we haven't had a rena- renaissance man on here yet. <laughs> the truth is, I guess the secret is I actually just really do. I do a lot of things, but I just do the things I'm good at. So people usually say, wow, you have loads of talent. But the thing they don't they don't see in the background is all the things I've tried that I've just failed at. And that's OK, too. But I then know that's not my strength. So I tend to focus on the things that, that I can make the biggest impact in and it can help me grow. Um, so let's bust the myth then. What are you rubbish at, Brandon? <laughs> uh, things I'm rubbish at. Um, I'm a terrible ballroom dancer. I found that out. So you won't wow. see me on Strictly Come Dancing anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> oh, that is a shame. The world is missing out. <laughs> um, let's see. I am, um, I'm a very bad vegan. I tried that as well. It doesn't work. <laughs> so... So you okay? So you, we won't find you meatless dancing across a ballroom anytime soon. You, you absolutely will not. It's it's not something. Uh, and something else I'm I love to do, um, but I'm just not very skilled at it. Is swimming. I do swim a lot, but mm. I, my body is just negatively buoyant. So I am battling sinking <laughs> basically. <laughs> I um I get a lot of people up because I, I I do like sport and staying fit, and a lot of people ask me to do the triathlon. But my swimming is just so slow <laughs> that it just would have. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm sidetracking this. So 
Right, some t- some tester questions to relax you, but it sounds like we're already relaxed already, Brandon. But I've got three very big questions for you. Um, and I know the first one's going to be specifically tough for you, but um, One Direction or Backstreet Boys? Oh, gosh, really? That's terrible. Uh, I know that your, fa- your two favorite bands, so... Oh, my gosh, that's like, you're, you're killing me. You're tearing up my heart. <laughs> no, uh, I, guess, I guess Backstreet Boys. Backstreet are. Boys. Uh, DC or Marvel? Marvel. Marvel all the way. Cool. And this is going to test um, the American English thing, but coffee or tea? Oh, well, I don't really like either. So <sighs> I guess I'd go with um, tea. Tea. <laughs> you're in, you're in the, 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 what is it? The Garden of England, Kent. So I yes. think that's a good choice. <laughs> cool. Okay, Brandon, um, we know you a bit more now. So let's take, let's take you on. Um, let's, let's get into the meat of this. So you, you, you worked, you did work in the US before you worked in the UK. It wasn't study and then straight to the UK, was it? No, no. I, I worked in the US for, for quite a few years before I moved to the UK. I've been in the UK now for 13 years. Wow. Time flies. Um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Um, I lived in Japan for two years as well, um, and I've kind of traveled quite a bit. So I, I did spend quite a lot of time working in the US, but I also spent you know that time in Japan and the time here as well. Yeah. So let's um, so let's take Brandon 13 years ago. You've told me some pretty funny stories about <laughs> about UK people and you, but let's 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 ta- let's give people a bit of a cultural insight on what it's like to be working in the US and then start working in the UK. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I noticed when I got to the UK from the US is that uh, British people are far more uh, they're far less risk. Uh, they, they're less likely to take risk. Right. Uh, and in the US market you know, things are, you, you have to learn to fail fast. And I think that's something that technology has caused the world to need to learn. But mm-hmm. the U.S. model is very much, <clears throat> you shouldn't fail, but if you're going to fail, you need to do it quickly so that you can move on. Yeah. And, and moving here, everything's very considered and there's tons of planning and there's lots of scheduling and it gets to the point where the process bogs down the ability to actually make things happen. And by the time, in some instances, it's, it's gotten a lot better over the years, but in some instances, by the time a decision is made, the world has kind of passed you by. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, totally. Well, I'm going to definitely bring back, come back to that at the third point when we talk about technology and culture later. But yeah, no, that, that's, yeah, that's fair. And But you've also specifically, you've worked for very English companies, haven't you, as well? Yeah, I have. I mean, the, the company I'm currently with, um, you know, there's a lot more Americans in it. But yes, I've I've worked with some distinctly British com- companies and they operate uh, pretty much uh, as, as you would expect, as I described. So it was kind of breaking the mold a bit. And uh, I think they liked what I brought to the business. And that's that's always a positive. They were excited at the, the kind of change in the pace that I brought. But at the same time, um, it makes it harder for them to let go because, you know, they they like the structure, the hard, hard structure. And when you're coming on game saying, look, we don't need that. Uh, not 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 at all. But, you know, we don't need to spend five weeks writing a strategy. We can write a strategy in two, three days and we can start to implement it and see what's working uh, as opposed to just thinking all the time. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. And is there anything that can be learned the other way around? Is there anything that let's ju- let's just say you were you were going but to back and work in the states? What would you, is there anything you take back from the from the culture of working in the UK back to the states? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, one thing the UK is a lot more is it's more team focused, which is great. You know, you know, in the US, when I worked, everybody has their own office. It's pretty common. I, I know technology, again, is moving into where open plan is becoming more of a thing in the US, but it never was. Yep. Uh, and, you know, the the team culture in the UK is quite strong. And it's something I would want to bring. The, the US can be very much an individual set up and lots of individual people are trying to prove themselves. There's a lot of people in the U S you know, you have to fight your corner and um, it would be the thing I would take back is the, the benefit of how well people do work together in teams and pair up and work on things in pairs as well. Yeah. And, and yeah, that would be the big learning I'd take back. I think that's that, that's that saying, isn't it? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's great. That's, um, that's, is that, is that, is that, kind of what you're trying to say absolutely and it, it's so true i mean we can't all go super fast by ourselves because we know the path and it's in our head but when you have to take someone on the journey with you what they can add and the learnings they can bring just make you so much better and so much more sustainable yeah no de- definitely and I, I don't think i've ever said this to you but i in my head i always think of you as an, Amer- an american bill bryson because <laughs> you you've always got you've always got these stories of like have you read any bill bryson yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, like I just i just the way that you bring to life the the stories of people is and it's also why you're such a good marketer but have, have you got any any funny bill bryson stories from this what's the book called is it strange island or little island or something i, uh, I can't remember the it's name his first book isn't it yeah, I don't, you mean do I actually have a Bill Bryson story like specific? Any fun any Bryson? any funny stories from from your time in the UK? Uh, funny story. Um, I think the thing, <laughs> I'm quite a study of people, and yeah, I remember I must have been here about three weeks, and my wife uh, decided that we were going to go to a thing called the Sweeps Festival, which is like a Dickensian festival uh, based in Rochester, Kent. Yeah. And interestingly, when we we walked down, it was a beautiful day. And when we got there and turned the corner, I noticed everyone was dressed in Dickensian dress. And I thought, wow, this is kind of cool. We walked further down the road and there were Morris dancers. There were, you know, lots of lovely smells in the air. And this is in Kent. Yeah, this is in Kent. Oh, they, love, in Rochester, Kent. They, lo- every- they love a Morris dancer in Kent, yeah. don't they? <laughs> Yes, they do. That's, you know, that's something. It's a tradition that's dying. I hope more people get into it, but yeah. I'm not going to do it. But, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, um, you know, you could, you could just everything was kind of a, a perfect day. And as we we got a bit further down the high street towards the Rochester Cathedral, I noticed a group of people running at me in what I can only describe as blackface. Yeah, <laughs> and I was absolutely just blown away. It was shocking. Yeah. And, and, you know, my wife looked at me immediately and she was like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. And basically what, what it was is they were chimney sweeps. And that was obviously the right. from, from the chimney on their faces. But, you know, to the untrained eye, it did not look right at all. And, you know, I look back at that now and every year we go, it's very, very funny to look back on. But, uh, you know, it's funny how culture, you know, the, the, the people that are there, they, they're like, hey, I'm just dressed with some soot on my face. But it's yeah. funny how society can teach you to be offended by things that are you know in in many ways not offensive because they their heart was in the right place they were literally just emulating a chimney sweep so it's a very funny story for me anyway i think that's something i learned from the previous podcast with jana and she was talking about mental health because she's also a stand-up comment comic 
she it's exactly what you just said it's about the intent of the person and, and what they're doing so she she thinks it's it's good that people joke about mental health issues um and i i think that's yeah i think your your point is there that it's around the intent of the person and what they're doing and trying to understand it yeah absolutely and you've seen some comedians that have done really well with that you know and they 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 take it to a certain point but the reason people laugh is because people are trying to connect with them and they understand that they're not doing it just to be rude. You know, of course we yeah. do have, you know, very rude comedians that say horrible things and people still laugh, but not really my cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, I just said tea. I don't really like tea. <laughs> You're turn- <laughs> we're turning you English. I- also, I checked the name of the Bill Bryson book. It's a notes from a small island. Ah, okay. that's what it's called. That's what you remind me of. But um, <laughs> okay. I'm going to take you onto your, your craft brand and what, what you're known for. Um, and the, the thing that I see you as is there's not, there's a lot of people who get data in marketing and there's a lot of people who get brand, but you, you can connect the two up. What, why is that? I don't really know. I don't, I really have a way of putting my finger on it. I think over the years, I, I've just had a lot of experiences, I think, in working in a lot of different industries and, I've always been one to look at data as something that is information that you can do something with, but it's absolutely pointless on its own. Mm-hmm. And, and realistically, the way data works with, in connection to brand is there's loads of people out there and they're all doing something. And you can tap into exactly what those people are telling you to ensure that your brand is, is appearing, you know, the right way that your brand is actually saying the things that they care about. Yeah. So I look at data, you know, as not something that's just a bunch of numbers or a bunch of metrics, but something that can help you to help people find the emotion that you're trying to convey. Yep. And that's really how I've always uh, taken a look at it. I've, I've never really shied away from saying, you know, the traditional old mark, old school marketing where we're just trying to say clever words or give lovely pictures and make people feel a certain way. The metrics are telling you what the people are trying to feel. It's up to you to actually go and have conversations and utilize those metrics and data to make that brand tell the story that they're looking to find. Yeah. And I think, I think what you're putting out there is a really interesting learning for all of us, which is Pixar do this really well, isn't it? They understand the data behind the emotion and they obviously do it in films and you're talking about applying that into marketing. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And if let's look at, let's look at some of the, let's go really macro at the moment. <laughs> um, what I kind of see over the next five, it's probably five years is the continued domination of Alibaba and Amazon in the, in the, in the Western and Eastern markets. But then in five to 10 years, just a huge battle between Amazon and Alibaba um, once they've just finished off everything in their local markets. Do you, how do you see, because the other trend we see is a rise in people really want to work, really want to work with an independence. So you see it in like beer, don't you? Like people want to drink their local beer or in clothing, people want like sustainably sourced clothing. Um, They want to know where their foods come from. How do you how do you see this playing out? Because you're, on one side you've got like these just massive huge companies that are dominating, but then you've got a custard demand, custard demand, customer demand for 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 really getting to the core of a product and understanding its purpose. How how do you how do you see the future of marketing and how all this plays out? That's a well, you've gone very macro. Uh, <laughs> well, assuming that 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 
tug of war or that massive war does happen, you know, uh, humans, we, we get to a point where we all kind of, we have this kind of core tenet as human beings that we will always revert to the simple once we become far too complex. And I, I really do believe, you know, we've become very convenient. You know, lots of things are fast. We have fast fashion. We have, you know, we can order anything at the, of a click and it could be at our house in the same day. But if we reach that point where the Amazon and Alibaba war does occur and, you know, people are starting to localize, I see us moving a lot, taking a lot of steps backward uh, as a society where we do start to kind of go back to that granular single tenant which is okay we're going to simply become localized marketing localized markets excuse me yeah so the beer is i think the beer is a perfect example it, you know everyone used to drink budweiser and then they you know they would drink uh stella and you know they they have all of the different brands that they love to love to try but now the the little craft beers are starting to come out and every time a craft beer starts to grow, like, you know, Brewdog is a perfect example. Every time they start to get too big, people go, okay, that's kind of cool. And now they start to move to something that's small again. Let's try something new. Yeah. So, you know, you have people like, um, you, you can see it even if, if, if I take it in, in terms of like politics, you can see what Elizabeth Warren is saying in the States. Let's break up Google. Let's break up Amazon. Uh, you know, let's break up Facebook. Because, you know, these are these massive, massive companies. And realistically, we should be focusing on much, much smaller, much, much more local. Uh, so really, marketing in the future, I think, will have to be extraordinarily individualized. And we will have to be granular in how we target even down to the individual. And we're even seeing that in the retail space where, you know, the cameras that are tracking eye movement. You know, I, I know you've worked a lot in that space as well, yeah. even with the you know, advent of AI. We're getting to the point where it'll be like, um, uh, sorry, I couldn't think of the name of the movie with Tom Cruise. I love that movie uh, where he's in the future. Yes, uh, I'm going to Google it whilst you continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of the name. It's, I don't know why it's driving me crazy. It's in my head. But, you know, as he walks past, they, you know, they're just going, hi, John Anderton. How are you, John Anderton? Nice to see you today. Minority you know, Report. Thank you. Yeah. I, I really do think that that's how marketing is going to go. It's, it's going to become very, very granular, and we're going to fight for the attention of the individual rather than the group of people. And that's a pretty big battle to take on. So one of, one of the bits of advice that I always give people with data, which you know of, is, is my, um, my strategy DDWS, which is before you do <laughs> um, a data strategy, you test it on DDWS, which, sounds, which stands for don't do weird shit. So it's one of my favorite things that you say. So if so, that's easy for me to say that I put it out there. But how do you, if you're internally, because you've worked internally in, in huge brands like FTSE 100 brands, through to small startups, how do you explain this to stakeholders? That right, you got to get the data because you got to personalize. But also, no, you you can't verge on stalking here. Like, if you test this on a, a friend down the pub and they, and you say, "Oh, we're going to do eye tracking and it's going to happen like this," and and they think it's weird, it is weird. But <laughs> but how do you? Because it's it's an ever changing world, isn't it? Um, yeah. How how do you to help people that are listening that are maybe working in HR or marketing and they're trying to get the balance right in their internal teams? How do you explain this world to people? So I get. So I want to make sure I understand the question. Sorry. <laughs> so 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 the, so the question is, we need more data to become more personalised. Yeah. But um, that also, um, when used too far, freaks out the customer. 
so when you're having these internal conversations about what data, how much data should we be collecting, how we use it, how do you get the balance right between like knowing the inside leg measurement of um, all of your staff, which would be totally weird, through to um, understanding what everyone's allergic to so you make sure you don't serve the wrong things in the canteen at work? Like, how do you get the balance right? Because there's, there's a lot of people struggling with this. Yeah, it, it, it's extremely tough. Uh, and, you know, this is probably less of a even marketing or technical question than more of a social question. Um, you know, we have kind of a period, we're going through an extraordinarily, extraordinary period right now where people are suddenly concerned with what information is being collected about them. And I'd say suddenly, uh, because it's one of those things that without kind of a media push to say you should be upset about this you should be upset about the you know what's being collected people kind of were happy to rub along um but in terms of convincing people um i wouldn't say you know it it, it's understanding the the things that that will actually make a difference to us being able to provide the best kind of product or the best type of experience. Knowing when somebody's birthday is, for instance, that's a wonderful thing to be able to wish them a happy birthday. We should only collect that kind of information if we're actually going to use that information. We should never collect information just for the sake of having it. And that's what a lot of companies have. They have tons of data lakes with loads of information. They have no idea what to do with any of it. So we've become a bit of a a nation, a society, over a, a global society of, of data pack rats. We just collect whatever we can find. Yeah. And, and that's a scary, scary thing because we can, you know, with that information, we can do anything. But if I happen to work at a, maybe I, I, we sell eyewear, for instance. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I want to know the birth dates of people because I want to understand the types of sunglasses or, or eyeglasses that a certain age demographic might buy so that I can start to tell a story or sell that story. We should collect that. However, um, do I need to know how many children they have? Eh. Probably not, unless I'm doing some deeper scientific experiment on, you know, people with three children tend to buy glasses that look like this. Uh, yep. you know, realistically, <clears throat> we have to make sure that we're always doing a bit of an audit and understanding what information we're collecting and that the information we are collecting is stuff we're actually going to use that we have a plan for. Otherwise, just leave it out. You know, as you say, don't do weird shit. Yeah, there's no no purpose in going and trying to track down someone's shoe size. If you're a person that makes coats, yeah, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. So um, that, I think that's really where people do at least get comfortable when I talk with them. They they start to understand, look, we're only going to collect the data that we're going to need. And here's exactly why we need this data. That's Brandon. That is so useful um, for lots of people out there, because that brings us in a simple question to ask, doesn't it, as a second test, which is if you decide that it's not weird. And then a customer asks you simply, why did you want that? And you can explain it. Um, so if you if we use the birthday question, if someone says, why do you want my birthday date? And the answer is because I'm going to send you a birthday, a card on your birthday, then that's, that, that totally just, that totally sounds acceptable, doesn't it? Absolutely. And if you have no plans to send a birthday card and it's of no use to you, then don't collect the information. You don't need it. You yeah. don't need to know that about your customer. Yeah. Now, Brandon, that's, that takes us on perfectly to something that you and me talked about before the call, which is the way that I see the world is that the command and control 
companies are gonna are gonna really struggle. So the example I use: if you're in northern France in whatever year and you're trying to get a hundred thousand people out of a trench to run at some machine guns, command and control works. But because of things like crowdfunding, technology, it's allowed all humans to, to, to be free and be able to work when they want, have complete transparency on wages and all this, and all this kind of thing. So the, 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 the thing that people are struggling with, and, and I don't have an answer to this at all, which is why I'm asking everyone I meet, which is command and control is dead, right? We move on from that world and we move to a world where you're Brandon.com, I'm Matt.com, and we all come together to work on projects and, and things in alliance and, and partnership. Mm-hmm. You work in technology now. What what's going to replace command and control? Because it's all very well saying that um, you take all the structure out. Um, it's a bit like how you're talking about the difference between working in the UK and working in the US. But what things do you see on the horizon that are going to start to help or be a problem in this area for the replace of command and control with collaboration? So, um, yeah, operational networks, collaborational networks are 100% going to replace command and control. And the biggest reason for that is because what we're learning now, uh, you know, probably a little later than we should have as a society, is that the people who are actually in front of the problem are the people who actually understand how to solve the problem in most cases because they are seeing it happen. And people sitting at the top, you know, while they're strategizing as they should be and while they're, they're moving things forward, they're not actually seeing the real problem. And that's, I think, a perfect example of that is when you see, like, uh, the, what's it called, like, the hidden CEO? Or, sorry, what's it called? Like, um, oh, I know the one where basically you know, the CEO goes into, works in the shop yeah. and they pr- pretend that they're, um, they're working on the tools or something. Yeah, like the secret, secret, secret CEO. CEO or, that's it. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, you see that. They go down and they stay in a shop for a day. No one knows who they are. And they go, I had no idea any of this stuff was happening in my business. Yeah. And the reality is, is that that, is where your problem solvers, your creatives, that's where all of that comes from that, that make a business run. Uh, and things that we will start to see stumble, uh, things that well, we're seeing it now is companies will start to shift in a way that's very uncomfortable for people at the top. People in the middle um, will become far more resourceful, more autonomous, uh, and they'll be able to share information across other colleagues that can also help them to do a better job, to understand how they perform. And I think right now, you know, in in a command and control setup, there's someone at the top that gets all the metrics or someone above you that gets all the metrics. And then they basically tell you what you're doing wrong. Yeah. But there's nothing to show you how you're performing against your peers. There's nothing to show you how you're doing a, a, you know, how you can do a better job. And, and that's really where the world of work will shift. Um, Especially with the advent of things like, you know, AI and big data, because that's information you can get in real time. Yep. So you, Matt.com, can know exactly what you need to do today. And Brandon.com can know exactly what I need to do today. Yep. And you and I can work together on a project and we know right where we're going. And we can deliver our best work and carry on forward without having to explain it possibly to someone who doesn't fully understand. I mean, you know, working in digital, that's one of the biggest issues that I've had in my career is talking to people and trying to get them to understand what we're doing in digital because it seems like black magic and they go well i don't understand it so i don't trust it i know it makes me money just please don't lose me millions yeah (laughs) yeah no and that that's i mean that's the trend i've seen from moving from digital marketing to to hr essentially 
which is it, it's just the, the data and the transparency around what people can see. Because I find it really funny now, because if we do like a, a happiness index audit to find out what's going on in the business, mm-hmm. if the results come back bad, people will be like, oh my God, we need to hide these results. And I'm like, you can't hide these results because this is what everyone's saying anyway. This is what they think and this is what they feel and this is what's being discussed down the pub in the coffee shop on the lunch break. All you're doing is making it worse by burying it. Um, and digital was the same, wasn't it? When, when it started yeah. to find out bits of marketing that just weren't working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're, you're 100% right. And, uh, you know, the other, the other piece of that, that, uh, the other piece of that equation is the human relationships that happen as a result of be- people being able to be more social. Yeah. So, you know, if, if Matt.com and Brenda.com get to work together and we have a fantastic relationship, not only are we going to produce brilliant work, yeah. we're probably going to become really good friends and we're probably going to introduce each other to more like-minded people, uh, you know, who will go on to do even more amazing things. And, uh, you know, it, it allows us to feel much more empowered in what we do as, a, as our job. But I think it will help make us a bit of a better society as well. No, no, totally. Brandon. And in terms of... Um... In terms of companies that are, that are wrestling with it now, you get it a lot in media agencies, don't you? Big, big media agencies, you get it in banks where they've, they've relied on command, command and control, but they know they need to move, but the company's dying. Hmm. You're, you're very good at speaking in the, in the, in the boardroom at sea level. What, what, do you, what do people listening to this, whether they're the CEO or whether, and, and they've got to convince their team or whether they're someone who's saying, this world is dying, the company's dying. How do you articulate this into words that don't get you fired, but get, <laughs> get, but get your point across? I guess, um, you know, the, the urgency is, is now. Right now, we're experiencing a change, even in the UK, a shift in the high street of seismic proportions where shops that we've known our whole lives are suddenly closing their doors. If you look at somewhere like Debenhams as a perfect example, and I can't imagine a high street without Debenhams. Yep. Now we've, you know, the data is telling us that the model is shifting. We have more millennials in work than ever in history. And regardless of what people may want to call millennials, snowflakes or any of those other things, what they are is extremely clued in to how they want to live their lives. And yep. so we've tried to penalize them for that, for actually taking an interest in things and asking why. Well, those millennials are quickly going to become the latest managers, you know, uh, people that run companies, the, the area, uh, area directors. And these are the type of people that are going to be shaping the business going forward. If you're not prepared to take that on now, the urgency of now and start making those changes when that talent is there, that talent will go to the places that are accepting of those areas and your business will just die. Yep. It's that, it's that Darwinism for organizations, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, I hope I didn't get fired by those words. No, I, I, well, I, I, I know the people you work for, and I think absolutely not, because um, they're doing great things. So, Brandon, um, we're going to move towards wrap-up. Uh, I've got three, um, three quick questions for you. Um, biggest low in your career? Uh, biggest low, uh, biggest low would have been working at allowing myself to work in a company with a poor culture, uh, and allowing kind of a bullying mindset to, to kick in and, uh, just kind of soaking it up for about four years. Um, yeah, I'd say that was probably low because I started thinking maybe, maybe I don't want to do marketing anymore. Maybe I don't want to work in, in companies anymore. Maybe I just want to work by myself and, and not take anyone on. And it, uh, 
it changed who I was for for some time. I remember, I remember the moment we were walking. We were walking back to Old Street, weren't we? And you said, yeah. and you said to me, oh, "I hate this area." And I was like, "Why do you hate this area?" And you said, "Because there's so many creative people around." And I was like, "Brandon, <laughs> I've known you for a long time. We we need to sit down." Um, so yeah, but but what? Um, so someone who's in that situation, what in in one sentence? Because we're running out of time. What what would they, yeah. what should they do if they feel the same and they're losing their vibe, they're losing their thing because they're in an organisation where they don't feel themselves? Pull, pull the chain, stop the bus, stop the train, get off. There's, there are opportunities out there. Do not soak it up. It will change you and it will ruin you. Um, you it's really hard to get back to yourself after an episode like that. So just get out. Okay. Uh, highest moment in your career? Highest moment in my career would be, uh, well, I guess I have a few. It's, it's seeing the people that I've mentored that have worked with me um, be promoted or moved, moved to new companies and go on to do amazing things. I, I have uh, one, one guy in particular who worked with for a few years and he moved to Manchester and was ama- he's amazing now. He's moved from agency to agency and he's just grown and grown, not just as a marketeer, but a human being and he's become a dad. And it's yeah. just amazing to watch that. So, you know, that those are highs for me when I can see that something that I've been a part of, I can help somebody reach the goals that they'd like to to achieve. That's amazing, Brad. And I'm um, I've got one last question, but I'm going to say thank you to everyone listening to uh, Working with Humans. Brandon, you've been an amazing guest. Um, I'm going to leave you with the last question. So I'm going to say thank you to you and thank you to everyone. Um, I'm just going to leave you on the last question. What is the biggest learning in your career? I think the biggest learning in my career has been uh, not not stopping, uh, even when somebody puts a bunch of roadblocks in front of you. Uh, I I grew up, uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a black man, Uh, not how I normally describe myself, but, you know, I'm a man who happens to be black. And uh, growing up in the States, I, I got a lot of stumbling blocks put in front of me. And that's not being a victim. That's just the sad reality. And, um, you know, I only made it as far as I did because some people reached out and decided that that I should be someone who should be helped. Um, And so I learned that, you know, I shouldn't give up, but I should always give back. And, um, you know, I've lived my life by that and I I will continue to do so regardless of what color someone is. I just think everyone is is worth it. So I've learned to to not stop even when uh, I'm I'm telling myself, uh, you know, I, I should just give up and roll over and let the world step over me. Brother, you're an inspiration. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much.